Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Hey, um, if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to turn to Mark. Anthony, remind me, or Nate, Mark, Mark chapter 9. Go ahead and turn there. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We just finished our summer series in the Psalms. We spent 11 to 12 weeks looking at what we estimated to be the greatest hits of the Songbook of Israel in our summer playlist series, our own curated top 10 greatest hits list. There's definitely going to be a volume two because there's at least 30 top 10s in the Psalms, so more to come. Uh, But this morning, we are jumping into kicking off a little mini-series. As you see in the bulletin, in the fall in September, we're going to be doing a whole new fall series in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, walking through the hall of faith, combining the New and the Old Testament for that. But here for the next three weeks, uh, we're going to be doing a little series in, uh, that we've entitled Everyday Discipleship. Everyday Discipleship. Discipleship is one of the most overused and underdefined words in the church. We've got a lot of those. Uh, discipleship is one of them. Uh, I, I imagine that in this room, especially if you've grown up in church, each of you probably have your own unique idea of what that means and what that looks like all the way from kind of a new believer learning the basics to a special mentor relationship, or maybe just something more simple and practical, like just following Jesus. Uh, And so uh, we want to unpack some some vision and some direction for what that should be looking like uh, in our church. And uh, that's what the next three weeks are going to be about. Uh, Specifically, let me kind of back up to go forward. Uh, If you've been coming here for any length of time, uh, or if you attend our Welcome to Souls class, you've hopefully become familiar with our four pillars as a church, our four, what we call them, discipleship pillars. Uh, These four things are what we aim to always be about as a church. These are the four things that we kind of see as like holding up our community in what we're after. Uh, And those four pillars are gospel centrality. It's being saturated and focused on the work that Jesus has done for us on the cross, making sure we don't leave that behind as something that got us in the door. The Christian faith is not about growing you know, further and further beyond the gospel into greater things, but it's going deeper and deeper into the gospel and how it transforms every part of our lives. So we need to stay being about the gospel of Jesus. We need to be about spiritual formation, which deals with the question of who am I and who am I becoming, particularly as a follower of Jesus. We have authentic community, which is this idea that we've got to do all these things together, that the church isn't a club or a service, but it's a body dependent on one another, following Jesus together. And let not what one part of the body say to the other, I have no need of you. Every person in this room has need of every person in this room, me included. Um, And then lastly, compassionate mission. When we spend time with Jesus, when we're transformed by the gospel, when we're living in discipleship community, our heart should begin to reflect the heart of God, which is for and toward people. And it's burned and and, and it's moved with compassion. 
And it's, it moves us out. It moves us out in love towards our neighbors. You know, it's great to, to really emphasize going and doing outreaches, but really outreach starts with you and your neighbors. It starts with you and your workplace and your family. And so these are the four things that, you know, we, we, we try to kind of cram all of our values into these big things. Now, the second pillar, spiritual formation, is, you like that emboldenment? Look at that. That was like on the cue. Give it up for Anthony. He's the man. Yes. All right. Great timing. Um, spiritual formation is, it would have been cool if I didn't say anything. You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to get better at that. Just, like, let it happen, you know? Um, but spiritual formation, our second pillar, is what we're going to focus on for the next three weeks. Spiritual formation. Uh, this is what our, our, our little mini-series is going to be about. Uh, as I said earlier, this deals with the question of who am I and who am I becoming. Here's a quick definition of spiritual formation. Spirit, this is pre-sermon stuff, by the way. We have a guest speaker, believe it or not, okay? Um, spiritual formation. We don't have a second service, by the way, and they're used to it, like going, we'll be good, okay? So spiritual formation, the lifelong and progressive work of the Holy Spirit. It's both a daily thing and a long-term, lifelong thing. The lifelong and progressive work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer to transform their inward character and outward actions, not one without the other, into the very image of Christ himself as they apprentice in discipleship under him. To, to make this simpler, to make this even simpler, uh, this is the premise. Go ahead and throw that up, Anthony, the next slide. Uh, the premise of this is that Jesus invites us to follow him. Discipleship is not something relegated to some Navy SEAL class of Christians. <laughs> you know, this special course you can take if you want to be a disciple. Discipleship is what it means to be saved. Discipleship is what we've been invited into as those that have been transformed by the work of Jesus. We're invited now to follow him. Jesus invites us to do so. He says, hey, I've got a better way. Come try my way. Come follow me. And as we do, he promises to form us into his image. And so it's this kind of dual complementary invitation and promise. Jesus promises to form, but he also calls us to follow. You could say he forms us as we follow. Listen to Matthew 4:19. He told Peter, "Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will form you. Formation happens through following Jesus. But that's another one of those words that we overuse and underdefine. Like, what does it actually mean? That's the question. Uh, throw that up. What does following Jesus actually look like on a day-to-day -day basis? What does it look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Like, does just identifying as a Christian mean I'm a follower of Jesus? What does it actually look like? How can I measure my life and ask, am I following him? Well, we have these three sort of metrics that mark what we think that looks like. It looks like on a daily basis being with Jesus. It looks like we see the disciples, they were called to be with him. It looks like learning from Jesus. They had to unlearn some things and then relearn some things about what's true. We get transformed by God's word. And then it looks like the power of the spirit, which leads us to walk like Jesus, to actually live a new life, to do things different into a way that Jesus promises leads to rest, rest for our souls. So uh, today, 
Uh, thank you for listening to my sermon this morning, and we've got, we've got uh, a two-part sermon today. Um, no, we're, we're, I'm super thankful to have Nate Gallagher with us from Calvary Chapel, Vero Beach. Um, just before I bring him up, I just want to kind of uh, share a little bit about uh, the connection there. It's been really cool just seeing God as we started our church. The Lord just surrounded us with just awesome like-minded brothers and sisters and other communities that have uh, been uh, just a great encouragement to us. Uh, we got to go up to uh, the men's retreat up at Calvary Vero this past uh, summer with a handful of our guys. It was just a sweet time being together. And we were trying to get Nate back down here. He's a friend of the house. He's preached a couple times. He's the pastor of teaching and the youth ministry up there at Calvary Vero. And we thought, Let's bring Nate down to kick off this series with being with, uh, on talking about being with Jesus. So uh, would you warmly welcome with me Pastor Nate Gallagher as he comes to bring the word. Good morning. You guys well? Happy with who you're sitting next to? I was thinking just, that's like my classic opening line. I literally say that everywhere I go. Um, but uh, when... A few times I've like taught for just like when church was online or when we were like doing registration and things like that and I couldn't use that joke anymore and I was a little lost so happy that I can make that joke again. Um, so yeah we're doing this series called Everyday Discipleship and uh, I've been tasked with the idea of being with Jesus. Now um, he I mean, I can just skip down to halfway through my notes now, but um, the process that allows um, Christ to be formed in us, and salvation happens um, in the moment of faith or conversion. So there's salvation, and then we move towards ultimately a day, um, which we would call glorification, where we encounter Jesus, we meet him face to face, and uh, he wipes away every tear, and we walk into that reality. But in the middle, and which is most of the Christian life, we experience a Bible word would be sanctification, this process of being transformed or Christ being formed in us. And uh, this, this process of discipleship or spiritual formation um, happens through all sorts of different things. It happens through suffering. Um, it happens through life experiences. It happens through God's word. Um, it happens through mentors and teachers. Um, and what we will talk about in this series, um, disciplines or practices. These things that we do or that we sort of are invited into to uh, walk with God. Now, salvation has happened. Glorification is, hap or is going to happen. But this process is really as we follow him and allow this to be formed in us. And so we're going to talk about this first idea of being with Jesus. Um, Mark 9, uh, beginning of verse 1, and I've titled uh, this message this morning, But Only Jesus, which he gave a great uh, intro to that too with the name of your church. So come on, this is just great. Um, but Only Jesus, Mark 9, beginning in verse 1, we read this. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Some of your Bibles might actually have that as the last verse of chapter 8. Um, mine has it as verse 1. There's a subject break, and then it goes into uh, verse 2. Now, this statement from Jesus um, is a pretty wild statement. Um, some of you will not uh, taste death 
till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Um, and there's all sorts of speculation about what Jesus is referring to when he says this to the disciples. Um, some say it is reference to his resurrection. Um, some say it's reference to Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. Um, the most likely and obvious uh, connection is the very next story that we read or continuing in verse 2. It says, now after six days... Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain, apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. I love that. Like, that just seems like such uh, a funny way to describe it. Like, Mark writing is like, yeah, just like really good bleach. And uh, it, was, it was just incredible. No launderer on earth could whiten them. Verse 4, And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Suddenly, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. We're going to pause right there. and Let's pray one more time together. Father, we thank you again for these moments that we share. We ask that you would um, be here Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would open up um, our ears and our minds to hear and understand what you want to say. Lord, we love you, God. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that we can follow you. We can have relationship with you, and you want to meet with us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jesus calls three of his disciples in this story to get alone with him on a mountain. Now, although this specific experience was different, um, this is the one time where they get along with Jesus and he's transfigured before them and Moses and Elijah show up and they have this incredible moment. Um, this discipline or this practice of getting alone with Jesus was very common. Um, in fact, you see this alone time with Jesus and the disciples um, or for just Jesus time alone with the Father as a routine in his life and ministry. Jesus would often get by himself um, in, or to a desolate place or to a quiet place. Um, in fact, throughout Mark's gospel, let me catch you up real quick in Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 1 begins, it's a little different than the other gospels because we don't have um, the birth story of Jesus. We just have Jesus sort of coming on the scene. But this is after 30 years of obscurity, Jesus living um, in Nazareth, being the son of a carpenter, doing his life. And then somewhere around the age of 30, Jesus shows up. And the first thing we see in Mark's gospel um, is he comes and is baptized by John the Baptist. Um, now, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. For Jesus, it was a baptism of submission. Um, he didn't have anything to repent of. Um, so he was submitting himself to the will and work of the Father. And then out of the baptism, immediately after his baptism, the Spirit of God coming upon him, we are told that the Spirit led him to the wilderness or to a desolate place. And for 40 days, Jesus was fasting and praying in the wilderness. 
Now, after that 40 days or somewhere towards the end of that, the devil comes and tempts him. I'm sure many of us are familiar with that story. So Jesus, obscurity, he's in the, like hiding out, doing his thing, comes on the scenes, decides I'm stepping into ministry, he's baptized, the, the spirit de- de- descends upon him. And then immediately the first thing he does is gets away for 40 days by himself in the wilderness with the father. Then he comes out of that time and at the end of uh, Mark chapter 1, he bursts on the scene in full-on ministry. In Mark 1 alone, Jesus calls four of his disciples. He casts out an unclean spirit. Um, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And we're told that he heals many on the Sabbath. And then at the end of Mark 1, at verse 35, um, we're told this. Um, Mark 1:35. it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So already in Mark 1, we see this rhythm of Jesus. He's, he's by himself. He comes onto the scene. The Spirit of God is poured out upon him. He goes again by himself for 40 days. He comes back on the scene, does all of these miraculous work, things like that. And then again, draws, gets alone um, with the Father. We see the same thing in Mark chapter 6. Except this time, he invites his disciples in with him. So we're told that he does all this ministry, and then they get on the boat. They're going to cross over the Galilee, and he says, hey, let's get away to a desolate place, the same idea, and let's just reflect. Let's just be together. Let's just sort of decompress. Now, in Mark 6, it's funny because that plan gets interrupted, and uh, Mark 6 is where Jesus feeds the 5,000, um, which in my opinion is the most chaotic miracle he probably did. Um, it just seems so stressful to me having to, just, the, just alone the disciples were tasked to have the people sit down in groups of 50 and 100, which seems, just put yourself in their shoes for a moment, like no microphone, no megaphone, and you're told, hey, there's 5,000 plus people. Just give them to sit down in groups of like 50 and 100. How, where do you even start? All right, guys, like, Move together. <laughs> like, I don't, it just stresses me out. So they're, they're supposed to get alone and, and sort of rest. And instead, we have this um, miracle that happens. But all of this to say, uh, Jesus had a rhythm of serving, um, but then getting alone and, and inviting the disciples then into that sort of routine. And here again in Mark 9, we see the same thing. Um, It's interesting that we see this rhythm so clearly in Mark's gospel because Mark's gospel is all about Jesus doing something. Jesus teaches the least in this gospel and is constantly serving. But it's made abundantly clear that he had the practice of getting alone and being with the Father. And so here, Jesus in Mark 9 takes them to be alone with him. Some translations say that he led them up on a high mountain by themselves to pray, and then he was transfigured before them. Now, this idea of transfiguration is literally to be transformed. It's the Greek word. I don't speak Greek, but it's metamorpho, and we get the word metamorphosis. Um, And to put it simply, what happens in this moment was the deity of Christ that was wrapped up or concealed by his humanity came out. In a sense, we see the the deity of Christ because Jesus was, is God and Jesus is man. Um, But the sort of deity of Christ is expressed or seen evidently in this moment. And this moment is, it's spectacular. It's incredible. 
Um, not only did Jesus' deity come out and his clothes became so white, like nobody could bleach him that white. Um, also, we're told that Moses and Elijah show up. It's incredible. I mean, imagine being Peter, James, and John in that moment. You're just like, this is crazy. Like we were going to, I thought we were just going to get alone. We were going to pray. All of a sudden, Jesus is, is transfigured before us. Moses and Elijah are here. Um, and then God speaks on top of that. Now, Peter uh, is floored by this moment. Um, and Peter wants to live up there forever. Peter wants to sort of like, let's just not go down the mountain and let's just, that's what he says in verse uh, five. He says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. And then he says, let us make three tabernacles, or, or it could more literally, let us make three tents, um, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I like that it adds, because he had no idea what to say. He's like, let's build tents and stay up here. Like, this is awesome. And the writer's like, yeah, he was so, you ever been there? Like, you don't know what to say, so you just say anything. And you're like, that probably wasn't it. Um, that's basically what happens. And then God sort of interrupts Peter. He's like, it's good. This is great. Let's stay up here forever. And then God speaks. And he's like, hey, Peter. Not really, but he's like, this is my beloved son. Hear him. <laughs> In other words, like, Peter, shut up. Let's listen to Jesus. In this incredible moment, like, God is, God speaks. Moses and Elijah are there. Jesus is transfigured before them. Incredible. Peter's like, let's stay up here forever. Um, but then notice, and this is kind of really where I want us to see, it says that after all of that, suddenly, verse 8, when they had looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. And this spectacular moment where, and Peter is like, I want to live up here, let's stay up here, comes to an end. Moses and Elijah disappear, like Jesus' clothes go back to normal white, and the voice of God, the cloud is gone, um, and then it's just Jesus only with themselves. And at the end of the day, being with Jesus was so much of what he was teaching the disciples. And I think oftentimes um, we... As we walk with God, we, we might experience moments like this where it seems like God is, is really speaking to us or there is some uh, experience that we have that really draws us in um, in relationship with God. As a youth pastor, I see this all the time. We call it like the camp high uh, or where like a young person goes to camp or on a mission trip and they really connect with God and then they go back to the classroom and it's like it becomes a distant memory. But there's these moments sometimes where we encounter the reality of God in such a clear way, but then most of our life is not that mountain experience. It's the verse after that says, and after this, they saw no one but only Jesus with themselves. And being with Jesus is the primary place where we learn from him what ultimately allows us to live like him. So let me just sort of, uh, this is 
like in the middle of the teaching, we're going to do a little TED Talk, and we're going to talk about the five practices that really allow for us to be with Jesus. This is what Jesus is trying to teach us. This is the rhythm that Jesus is teaching his disciples and invites us into. And being with Jesus is a great idea. The problem is, for us, uh, at least for me, um, is I've never got the invite from Jesus to get away alone on a mountain for a week or a day or an hour, right? Like, I, my life is, I wake up in the morning, I have coffee, I go to work, I do my thing, and, and there hasn't been this moment. And so being with Jesus is a great idea, but in, in, in sort of reality, what does that look like? What does it look like to be with Jesus? And in, in, in Scripture, you see sort of five um, there's probably more, but we're going to talk about five sort of practices or, or disciplines um, that we can bring into our life that allow for us to be with Jesus. Um, the first and kind of what we see here is what we would call silence and solitude. This is um, what we see in the text and in many others. It's really getting alone with God. Um, with our students, we call it TOG, time alone with God where it's like just dedicate and designate a spot and a, and, a, and a moment to get alone with God. And silence and solitude really is about eliminating distractions, getting by yourself, being still, and knowing that he is God is the idea. It is, is setting aside a time where you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid, I'm going to put the phone down. Like, at the very least, I'm going to, like, put it in a drawer, and I'm not going to get the alerts, and I'm not going to have, like, you know, the, the phantom vibrations where you thought your phone rang and it didn't, and you're like, like, ah, nope, nobody. But there's, like, just that, like, impulse. Um, I, I've deleted all social media off my phone, and I still, like, it's been probably a year without social media on my phone, and I still find myself going to the folder that used to have social media. And I'm like, there's nothing in there. Like, you know, you're just muscle memory of like, and so getting alone, like eliminating distractions and just saying, okay, God, I'm going to be present in this moment. That's the idea of silence and solitude. It's just to say, I'm going to eliminate anything that could cause me to be distracted and whatever that looks like. It could be, it could be five minutes. <laughs> and maybe as you get used to it, you could build it into 15 minutes. I don't know, but, but eliminating distractions and intentionally recognizing the presence of God. So silence and solitude. Another way is through prayer. We be with Jesus. This is simply communicating with God. Prayer is how we communicate our thoughts, our needs, our desires, our pain, and so much more with God. And prayer is, is a lot of things, um, but prayer is thinking or talking or even feeling up. Because I think sometimes, like, prayer is, it can, can look so many different ways. Like, sometimes I, I am praying, but I, I'm not saying anything. I'm not thinking anything. It's just like a, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't even express. It's just like a, and it's up. Because <laughs> we can, like, feel that, and we can think that, and we can talk that. And a lot of times, um, our prayer is actually kind of this way meaning like it's not going up, it's just going to, kind of going out, or our think, we're thinking about a situation and we want to call it prayer, but it's really us trying to figure out how to solve this problem or something like that. And prayer, what it is, is it's allowing ourselves to communicate or, or express in some way or another 
our, our needs, our desires, our hopes, our wants to God. And prayer is expressing these things to God. So we do through prayer. Number three is scripture. Time alone with God should almost always be anchored in Scripture. This is where God speaks the loudest and ministers to us as we're with Him. And Scripture is fundamental in all spiritual formation, being anchored in God's Word. And it is then translate into living like Jesus and and learning from Jesus, which is the other practices we'll talk about. But Scripture is anchored in all of being with Jesus. Of just learning, okay, God, speak to me. And, and I would encourage you, if I could, um, pick something in your Bible to read. Um, I encourage uh, people to like, pick a book and read through it or pick a plan and, and follow through it. Um, I like reading a gospel, and I'm currently reading a gospel, and I'm reading a proverb. And just trying to like, think through God's word in that way. But, but spending time with God, alone with God, in his word. Number four, uh, that ways we can be with Jesus is through fasting. Now, this is a far less common practice of being with Jesus, but this is a way to radically eliminate distractions to be more focused on God and to be with him. Now, we can do this through abstinence, um, where we refrain from something in our life, um, like social media or sugar or something like that. Um, this is probably best seen in sort of like the practice of Lent, um, where we give up something intentionally um, to walk with God. Um, and, and sometimes it's, it's simple things. It's, it, it is social media. Um, Hannah's grandma used to give up, I think, hard alcohol in the day during Lent. Is that right? I think that was her, her Lent was just hard alcohol during the day, but after 5 o'clock. It was good again. But like Lent is, Lent is sort of, it's, it's abstaining from, or, or it's, it's, there's the absence of, or excuse me, there's a practice of fasting that is abstaining from something. But then fasting, especially sp- like biblical fasting specifically, is food, and even the more extreme is food and water um, for a period of time to, to focus on God. And fasting, what happens is it's very practical um, that allows us to connect with the Lord, but it's by giving up like a physical aspect of, of what you need to focus more intently on the Lord. And so fasting is a way and a, a, a common practice, especially in the early church, probably less common so much in, in the modern church, but of getting alone with God. And then the fifth way uh, that we see is Sabbath. Um, again, this is the, probably the least common practice with being with Jesus. This is setting aside a day to rest and be with God. And this practice, the practice of Sabbath, is um, designed primarily to build trust. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament where God commanded his people to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And they weren't to work on the Sabbath day. And the idea was because if you didn't work on the Sabbath day, especially when the other nations and people groups around you would work, there's this feeling of they're getting ahead and I'm falling behind. And so what God was teaching his people is you have to trust me. And then uh, every so often there would be an entire year where they would let the land rest and they were designed to just trust God to provide for all of your needs. And, and the Bible, the New Testament makes it clear that the Sabbath for the follower of Jesus is not a day of the week. Um, we don't have to make Saturday our Sabbath. But I would encourage, make something a Sabbath. 
where you can rest and reset and focus and hear from God and learn to trust in God. Maybe like don't check the email one day a week or, or, or turn off social media for that day and just let yourself go, I'm going to trust in God. The, the, I, I, I don't need to respond to that text right now. Like, I don't need to respond to that email right now. I'm going to rest. I'm going to trust in God. All of these ways are simply ways for us to be with Jesus. And, and if I could, for many of us, this is something we need to start. And with the busyness of life and family and work or the stress of social media and the news or the increase in anxiety or sickness and worry about the future, we need to learn to rest in the presence of God and trust in him to take care of us where we can learn to simply be with Jesus, making that a practice and a routine in our life. And maybe there's, maybe in that list of five, maybe there's a couple of them you're doing, um, and I would encourage you, add a new one. That, I, I, uh, a group I was talking with not too long ago, we kind of walked through this, and I was like, pick one this week that you don't do and add it to your life. For some of you, it's like, I would start with, if you don't have any of them, start with scripture. Setting aside time to be in God's word. Maybe it's more in, in focused prayer time, or maybe it's the idea of, uh, of giving up something, or maybe it's the silence. Whatever it is, learn and practice in your life um, to be with Jesus. Because this was a, a rhythm, a, a, a discipline even, for Jesus. And if Jesus, so, who is God, needed that alone time with the Father, how much more do we need to find that in ourselves? All right, so I want to continue this story because I think this story has good insight on this whole idea of um, being alone with Jesus. So we're going to jump down to verse 14, um, and we're going to continue sort of the, the, in 11 through 13, they ask a question about Elijah, um, and Jesus answers it. But then verse 14, the story continues. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. So Jesus and the three come down the mountain. They get back and hear the rest of the disciples who Jesus um, left behind. Verse 15, immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at his mouth, gnashes at his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples, and they could not cast it out. Um, that they should cast it out, but they could not. And he answered and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I, shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and... When he, <clears throat> When he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown them both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you can believe. I love that. The guy, the, he says, Jesus, if you can do anything. And Jesus says, no, if you can believe. He says, all things are possible to him who believes. And this is one of my favorite verses because I can relate to this guy in so many ways. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Like I, I believe, but I also don't believe. I trust you, but at the same time, I don't trust you. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, 
and came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And so he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Okay, so this is sort of, um, I think, the, the human experience when we talk about being with Jesus. We're like, all right, we're going to do it. We're going to be with Jesus. So we, like, turn the phone off, and we sit down with our Bible, and we get away on the mountain. And we're like, oh, yeah, this is so good. Like, let, let's just live up here. No distractions, no craziness. And then we turn the phone back on, and we have, like, a million voicemails and like, I mean, this is, he gets away. Now, a part of me, um, I feel like I could do a whole sermon on the poor disciples that didn't get chosen to go up on the mountain. You know what I'm saying? Like that, I feel like for many of us, especially when it comes to spiritual growth and, and, and for many of us, we sort of sit back and see God doing work um, in other people's lives and we sort of are, are, are kind of like the disciples who didn't get the invite to go up and see Moses and Elijah and the transfiguration. Like Peter, James, and John are like coming back like, that was crazy. And they're like, like out of breath, trying to cast the demon out of this boy. And like, what are you talking about? Um, and for, I think many of us, we, we kind of experience that, um, that sort of tension, I guess. But so Jesus, they get away. They're alone with, with Jesus. They have this incredible moment. They come back down the mountain, and they're greeted with this incredible difficulty. And, and here we are. The, the scene is, is probably intense and overwhelming. Right when they come down, they sense the intensity. Jesus is like, what's going on? What are you guys talking about? And they're like, we, this kid is sick, and we asked your, your disciples to do something about it, and they couldn't. Um, I really wonder what that looked like, um, especially like were they trying different methods and more specifically, were they trying methods that Jesus had already tried? Because in the chapter before, Jesus spit on somebody and healed them. So I wonder if they tried that, like if they're like, well, it didn't work when he prayed, so let's spit on him. He did that. Um, in, in the chapter before that, Jesus stuck both his fingers in a guy's ear and then touched his tongue to heal him which is very oddly specific. So like, maybe let's try that. Um, they're like, I don't know. I'm just joking. But um, they're, they're, they come down, and clearly they're trying. They're trying to cast out um, this demon from this kid, and they're unsuccessful. And then Jesus comes down. He has a conversation with the father. He says, if you believe, if you trust, if you have faith, it'll happen. And he says, I believe, but I also don't believe. And then Jesus does the miraculous. And then it, it sort of concludes um, with the disciples probably embarrassed, ashamed, overwhelmed, tired, however long they were doing this. And they say, why? Why couldn't we do this? Why weren't we able to do it? Because they, they've had experience so far where God used them in, in, a, in a way like this. So why couldn't we do it? And then Jesus says, kind of shocking, verse 29. He says, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Now notice, Jesus' solution for them is more time alone with him. Right? That, that's the solution. They're like, we tried. 
you were away. <laughs> you left us in charge. This kid showed up. We tried to do it. We were incapable of doing it. Why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said, this, this, these results, this can only happen um, through more prayer and fasting, which is time alone with God. I want to give us two sort of brief points about um, being alone with Jesus that I, I think will sort of um, help us as we close. Number one, time with Jesus brings revelation. God wants to reveal himself to us. And when we spend time with him, this is where he does that, where God will reveal himself to us. We can see him as he is, and God will speak to us. And we see both of those things very clearly in the first story. This time alone with God allows them to see Jesus as he is. And very clearly, in a dramatic way, God speaks to them. And I think for many of us, when we're, when we're walking through life and we're going through all that we're going through, all of us want a deeper revelation of who God is and what he would have to say to us. And sometimes, oftentimes, in the busyness of life or the, or, or the worries we experience or just, just the mundane and the routines, we can miss the moments where God really wants to reveal himself to us in new and fresh ways. And so being with Jesus, setting aside time, deciding I am going to sit and I'm going to listen and I'm going to pray and I'm going to meditate on God's word and I'm going to be in a mindset and in a posture where I can hear from God is usually, is oftentimes where God will reveal himself to us. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't reveal himself when we're not looking for him. He absolutely does. Sometimes it's like we get slapped across the head with God speaking to us. We're like going through our life and we're almost avoiding it sometimes. And God's like, hello. <laughs> but but in, in, long, in lifetime discipleship to Jesus and, and long-term growth and, and continuation of walking with God, it's going to come through those dedicated times of sitting with Jesus, being with Jesus as he reveals himself to us. And time with Jesus brings revelation. And the final thing is this, and the worship team, you guys can make your way up here. Time with Jesus gives us strength to serve. Time with Jesus gives us strength to serve. It is so striking to me that the reason they couldn't cast out this demon was because of prayer and fasting. Now, prayer is something you can obviously do in a moment. Fasting is not. Prayer is something, okay, so they're in this situation. Jesus is gone. James, Peter, and John are gone too. It's just the rest of them. This guy, this dad comes up with his son. He's sick, and they're like, will you, can you do something? Where's Jesus? Ah, he took the other guys up on the mountain. I don't know. Can you do anything? Okay, well, we'll try. Um, and probably... I mean, if it were me, if I was in this situation, the first thing I would do is pray. Like, let's, all right, let's lay hands on this person. Let's pray for him. Let's ask God to do something. So, all right. Prayer you can do in a moment. Fasting you can't do in a moment. Right? They couldn't have been like, okay, prayer. You also got to fast. I'll be right back. Just wait here. Like, let me just go not eat something real quick, and then I'll come back. Um. And so Jesus, he, he says, this can only result 
This kind can only happen through prayer and fasting. You can't take a break from ministering to someone to fast real quick. It must already be a practice in your life. Making time with Jesus a priority in our lives allows us to step into all that God has for us and prepares us on the front end for what he might have us walk in. I mean, that, that is sort of the, the implications here with Jesus saying this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. He's saying, he's saying you, the, the, the strength that you're going to gain to serve me and to step out into the things that I have for you is going to come directly connected in some way or another to the time you spend alone with me. And I think so often, I think because of the culture that we live in, we're such solutions people that we just want to see the, the progress. We just want to see the solution. We just want to see the result. And what Jesus is inviting us into over and over again is not about results. It's not about finding a solution. It's not about accomplishing a task. What Jesus so often invites us into is to just sit and be with him. Sit and be with him. Learn to quiet yourself and posture yourself and and organize your life in such a way that you can learn and you can do by being with Jesus. And time with Jesus is central to our spiritual development. We must learn to make it a priority and a practice in our lives. And we do it so we can learn from Jesus, so that we can live, by Je- live like Jesus. And this is a, I'm going to close with this sort of statement. This is a circular and simultaneous process. That, that being with, learning from, living life is a circular and simultaneous process, meaning it loops. We be with Jesus, learn from Jesus, live like Jesus, be with Jesus, learn from Jesus, live like Jesus, be with Jesus, like all the way until the end, that this is not something we graduate from. So it's circular, it's, it's constant. We, we circle back. And I think we never graduate from sitting with Jesus. We never graduate, okay, I've learned it all. Like, okay, it's, it's circular. But it's also simultaneous in the sense it's all happening at the same time as we walk with him. We're, we're simultaneously sitting, learning from, living like, looping it back. But does that make sense? It's both happening like, because it, it can't be like a one, two, three, complete. You got an A. You were with Jesus. You learned from him, and you became like, you're done. No, it, it's, it's constant. It's, it's sort of a revolving door. But at the same time, for many of us, and most of us, it's happening all at once. We're learning from living like, being with, and so on and so forth. All of this to say, and sort of talking about spiritual formation, God wants to make us, or, or to use the language of Paul, he wants Christ to be formed in us. Christ to be formed in us. One of the primary ways, and like I love what Andrew said at the beginning, that it is something we're invited into to follow him, but it's also something that he forms in us. And so we have to sort of take that step of saying, okay, I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to learn to sit. I'm going to learn to wait. I'm going to learn to rest. I'm going to learn to trust. I'm going to learn to just be, just 
be with God through a practice, anchor it to a practice. I think for me, I'm so ADD that like if I'm just like, I'm going to go be with Jesus and just like sit there, it's like, no, what does that mean? Um, so anchor it to a practice, anchor it to something, but be aware of God in your life. Be aware of what he's doing in your life. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Think about him. Meditate on his word. Focus on him. Allow him to reveal himself to you and allow him to give you strength for all that he wants you to walk in. 